Penn State says it might be wait till next year for this year's state funding. And party affiliation didn't seem to matter in Pennsylvania when ballots were rejected during the spring primary. Welcome to the Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. A good morning to you. It is Friday, October 27th, and this is being recorded at 9.17 a.m. I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories. So let's get started. Penn State and other state-related universities are still waiting for this year's funding from the Commonwealth. And Danahy from WPSU and State College reports the university is saying if the money doesn't come through soon, it might be next year before it actually sees state funding. An email from Penn State's Office of Government and Community Relations to university supporters says, quote, if the Senate doesn't pass our funding this week, we might have to wait until spring 2024 for a resolution. The university has delayed giving more than 18,000 employees pay raises until after the state support comes through. Penn State uses state funding to charge lower tuition to in-state students. While the state house approved the university funding, the Senate has not. Now, there are only a handful of scheduled session days left this year, and a Penn State spokesman says, as the month draws to a close, there is growing concern it may not happen this year at all. A new study from Dickinson College in Carlisle finds party registration did not affect whether someone's mail-in ballot got rejected during the spring primary. My colleague Robbie Broad takes a look at the findings. The main reasons a ballot gets rejected are signature issues, lateness, and lack of proper envelopes. Sarah Niebler, associate professor of political science at Dickinson, told WITF's The Spark that both Democrats and Republican ballots were rejected at the same rate, roughly 2%. Once those ballots get turned back into the county, Democrats and Republicans are equally likely to have their ballots rejected, and those ballots are rejected at very low rates overall. So more Democrats asked for mail-in ballots than Republicans did. Older voters used mail-in ballots the most, and their ballots were rejected the least. The Environmental Protection Agency says that major work to clean up the site of chemically tainted soil and water in East Palestine, Ohio, is almost complete. Now, Reed Frazier is with our partner, the Allegheny Front in Pittsburgh, and has been following developments for nearly nine months, ever since a Norfolk Southern train derailed near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. EPA's regional administrator, Deborah Shore, said cleanup of chemicals released during the derailment will continue, but that the majority of contamination, more than 100 million tons of soil, has been hauled away. Shore marveled at progress crews had made cleaning up an area where five rail cars worth of the carcinogen vinyl chloride were vented and burned after the February 3rd derailment. It is completely cleared of hazardous contamination and has been filled with clean soil. But scientists and some people who live in the area say the soil and water could still be contaminated. Both U.S. senators from Ohio have asked EPA to sample chemicals inside people's homes. But the agency has so far dismissed those requests, saying outside air tests show no contamination. And a program that helps Pennsylvanians convert their lawns to meadows is gaining some ground. Zoe Reed, with our partner WHYY in Philadelphia, reports these peaceful patches of wildflowers and native grasses have a variety of environmental benefits. For years, perfectly manicured lawns have been a symbol of the American landscape. 
But these so-called aesthetically pleasing lawns can contribute to runoff pollution and reduce habitat for pollinators and birds. So the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources is offering funds for residents and businesses who want to replace their lawns with native plants. The program's Kelsey Mummert says this cuts carbon emissions and attracts bees and butterflies. It also prevents flooding and water contamination. So let's talk about out-of-pocket cost for landscapers to do the conversions. They can range from two to five thousand dollars. If you haven't had a chance to check out this week's edition of the Purple Buck newsletter, make sure you do so. Our own Scott Blanchard writes about hearing a challenge for both journalists and communities at our recent News and Brews event in Lidditz, Lancaster County. You can find it and subscribe at WITF.org slash Purple Buck. Now, as you know, each weekday morning, I try to go through about a dozen news sites across central Pennsylvania, just looking for a few stories to put on your radar because they cover issues that may impact you and your community in the future. So here's what you need to know. With the election less than two weeks away, one York County community is dealing with the theft of campaign signs. The York Daily Record reports police in Fairview Township are warning people caught doing so could face charges. Taking signs from private property or the public right-of-way can be considered theft, and police say they will take appropriate action to enforce the law regardless of which political campaign the offender supports. So just a refresher, voters like you will be selecting judges, municipal officials, and school board directors in the November 7th election. A reminder that the last day to request a mail-in ballot or an absentee ballot is Tuesday. The deadline for the county election office to receive mail-in and absentee ballots is 8 p.m. on Election Day. Well, the availability of the new COVID-19 vaccine remains inconsistent across some counties, including Lancaster County, a month and a half after the formulation received federal approval for use. Our sister newsroom, LNP Lancaster Online, reports the county's primary health system, Penn Medicine Lancaster General Health, first received vaccines earlier this month. But another health system active in the county, Pittsburgh-based UPMC, had yet to receive any vaccines for its facilities across the region as of Wednesday. But for now, getting a COVID shot may depend largely on which and how many places a person seeks the vaccine. All right, let's take a deeper dive into a particular issue. Pennsylvania's natural areas look a lot different today than just a few decades ago, largely because of non-native plants. The Allegheny Front's Julie Grant reports on an effort to educate people about how their plant choices affect the natural world. When you walk through the Hall of Botany at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History in Pittsburgh, you come to a diorama of the Allegheny National Forest created around 1970. Associate Curator Mason Heberling looks through the glass at a reconstruction of the beech hemlock forest in northwestern Pennsylvania and points out that there are so many native plants. The herbaceous layer is super rich. We see ferns, we see flowers of all different colors, we see tree saplings, we see an orchid there, and we see the leaf litter under the dense canopy. 
But he says that's not how a display of the forest would look today because of all the invasive plants in the state. He says if you visit a forest now... I don't think you'd have to walk too, too far to find a plant, for instance, like a multiflora rose or many other introduced plants. So kind of an exchange of native plants for non-native plants, some of which are quite invasive and um, kind of spread and take over. Multiflora rose and Japanese knotweed were originally planted as ornamentals in gardens and flower beds. Japanese stiltgrass got here because it was used as packing material. Non-native plants like these can become invasive when their seeds are picked up by birds, wind, and water. Rachel Reeb, a postdoctoral fellow at the museum, says they can crowd out native species in woodlands or along creeks and rivers. Invasive is a species that causes either economic or environmental harm in some way or another. Another common invasive is garlic mustard. It's native to parts of Europe and Asia. People brought it into their kitchen gardens because it was great for cooking, and since then is now one of the most common invasive species you see in forests of Pittsburgh. It starts to grow early in spring, and its leaves shade native wildflowers that emerge later in the season, stunting their growth. Research shows that garlic mustard also releases chemicals that inhibit the growth of other plants. The museum was recently awarded a $225,000 grant from the Richard King Mellon Foundation, which also funds the Allegheny Front. It's collaborating with the Audubon Society of Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh Botanic Garden, and others to educate the public about invasive plants. Heberling says he learned the hard way how tricky it can be to talk about non-natives and invasives. A couple of years ago, Heberling put up a sign in the museum's Botany Hall with information about Japanese knotweed. It wasn't exactly this, but it was like, we hate Japanese knotweed. Remove it, you know. But Heberling says he heard from his colleagues about it concerned it could be perceived as anti-Asian and anti-immigration. We kind of didn't really want visitors to accidentally take home that we are um, xenophobic or that we're making comments on immigration or that some people are not wanted. Um, So we, you know, have changed that text. With this new grant money, the museum and its partners are trying to find ways to talk about these subjects with visitors. We want to come up with best practices on how, both in museums and in other settings, um, how to talk about kind of the problem of non-native plants, while also recognizing that it's not these plants' fault, um, so to speak. They're just doing their thing. It's really as humans bringing these plants here and affecting ecosystem function and causing a lot of impacts in our local environment. Heberling and his colleagues are looking to create an exhibition. It may include digital resources, an online database, videos, pamphlets. Sarah Crawford, director of exhibitions at the museum, says they're still figuring it out. But she says one thing they don't want is for people to leave feeling overwhelmed by another problem. I really hope that we're not driving home to visitors like feel guilty. I hope the message is more empowering and exciting. She says they want to educate people about how non-native plants got to Pennsylvania and the problems invasives are causing. Crawford says it's important to teach people about native plants and how to foster them. It's exciting to feel like I know more now and I can do something. That feels good. And that's what I'd love to see visitors walk away from this with. The museum plans to open an exhibit with educational resources late next year. For the Allegheny Front, I'm Julie Grant. And I'll just remind you, the morning agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts and on WITF's YouTube channel. 
So let's hear about the song you are thinking about right now, the song you think you're going to be blasting this weekend. Let me know about it. I'm on Twitter. I'm at TLambert895. You can also email me, Tim underscore Lambert at WITF.org. Be sure to check out our Spotify playlist for the month. It's called The Morning Agenda Song of the Day, October 2023. Going with Bob Dylan for my song of the day today, Chimes of Freedom. And that does it for The Morning Agenda. It's a daily news podcast from WITF where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Thank you so much for listening today. Be well. Have a fantastic weekend. And we'll talk again on Monday.